welcome to Elder Health Connection, a podcast where I gather innovators in elder health care to discuss their unique perspectives on caregiving and care receiving. My name is Caroline Morris, and I use my combined experience in biochemistry, physical therapy, health coaching, and growing up next door to my grandparents to dig deep into the complexities of aging and then draw out practical solutions that can fit into your life. I record this show from my home in Alexandria, Virginia, sometimes with the input from my dogs, Vinny and Barry. Thank you for joining us today. Today, I'm delighted to introduce you to Jennifer Bartis Early. Jen is an occupational therapist with 26 years of experience and a certified hand therapist. She often engages her patients in open discussions about their right to choose and make decisions about the types of care they want to receive. She emphasizes the power and importance of education when making healthcare decisions, especially regarding injury and illness prevention, as well as the promotion of overall health and wellness. She brings individualized occupational therapy and hand therapy services, including mind-body interventions, health and wellness guidance, with high-quality products and supplements to allow you to make choices on your holistic journey towards health and wellness. Jen and I had a great conversation about what we can do to optimize healing and how important the hand is to our everyday life. I can't wait for you all to learn more from Jen. Hi, Jen. Welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? Good. How are you doing today? Pretty good. Thanks for inviting me to participate. Oh, you're welcome. I'm so excited that you're here. So I met you virtually in a therapy professional group and saw that you were also doing a more holistic approach to health. So if you don't mind just telling us a little bit about your professional training and why you're venturing into a more holistic approach. So I started my journey to be an occupational therapist and hand therapist many moons ago, back um, when Quinnipiac University was actually a college. And I initially got my health and science bachelor's degree and transitioned into the occupational therapy bachelor's degree program and graduated with that in January of 1996. And I began practicing pretty much throughout the a continuum of care. I've held several positions doing different things in OT, but I really felt that one of my passions was hand therapy. So although I've held a couple of different positions in hand therapy, um, once my daughter was older, I decided to start studying for the hand therapy certification exam. And I accomplished my certification in the fall of 2019. And at that point, I was finding that a lot of my colleagues at least had their master's degree, if not some were starting to get their doctorates. And so I felt like I needed to move myself more current. And so I decided to look into potentially getting my master's degree, which that wasn't an option because I would be at a graduate level. So Quinnipiac University offered a bridge program where I was able to 
um, complete that program and transition into their doctorate, which is a, a post-professional doctorate program. So in that bridge program, I was able to get my advanced certificate with a specialty in hand therapy. And during that time, I did an independent study for 14 weeks where I focused on complex regional pain syndrome, which taught me a ton about really looking at a systems-based approach to how we treat our patients. And from the cellular level on up, not just you know looking at the upper extremity and looking at some of the signs and symptoms that we needed to address during treatment. That philosophy that I adopted during that independent study carried into my doctoral studies, which I'm currently um, two semesters away from graduation. And the research element of the doctoral program is very heavy and intensive, which right now I'm actually working on my capstone project. And in that mindset that I got for a systems-based approach, when I studied complex regional pain syndrome, it really transitioned into everything I was digging into in the research for my doctoral studies, which brings me to kind of where I am today. You know, I've, I've worked in, in corporate healthcare in all these different settings, but I always felt like I was never truly allowed or encouraged to treat the whole person in more of a holistic manner. And I started digging into that research and literature of, you know, how are OTs treating their patients, especially in outpatient hand therapy. And we seem to really be focusing on the biomechanical approach and, and the literature through our practice analyses over the years really has shown that in terms of practice patterns. So then I started looking more current about you know, what are the initiatives for, say, Healthy People 2030? What is um, the American Occupational Therapy Association and the American Society of Hand Therapists really looking at in terms of our growth as a profession in the outpatient arena? And the area that they started tapping into is complementary and alternative medicine. And how do we begin to transition back almost to our roots of occupational therapy, where we're looking at occupational-based performance and how do we engage our, our, our patients and get them invested in the participation in therapy, both when they're present in the clinic and when they're home. And, you know, we're, we really want to have their buy-in. It's about them. It's about us empowering them and engaging them in, in being successful in the rehabilitation process. And the research is really supportive of, you know, diet and supplements because, you know, it's so instrumental in, you know, the building blocks for recovery and rehabilitation. Because if we don't have good diet and, we're, and our comorbidities aren't under control, then we really, you know, we can't heal well. So that's pretty much how I, I got to the point of looking more at diet and nutrition and the, my interest in, in the, uh, the ability to integrate supplements that are high quality into, into practice alongside with being a traditional medical model 
occupational therapist and hand therapist? There were so many good things in what you just said. I want to highlight a few and then ask you some more questions. So um, just a little background for people who aren't as familiar with occupational therapy and physical therapy. Both of our professions have very quickly transitioned from the bachelor's degree being entry level to then master's, and now it's more of a doctoral program. And so you, Jen, didn't have to change your degree. You could still practice as an OT with your bachelor's, but I think it just shows a commitment to your growth and the profession that you are doing this transitional program. Um, and then hand therapy too is its own beast. That's a lot of extra self-study and certification just to pursue that area of practice. And if we think about our hands, they really are key to interacting with the world around us. Um, is there anything you'd like to say about that, just the role of the hand in, in our daily lives? You know, really, uh, we don't think in terms of just how important our hands are. You know, from everything that we do from the minute we get up during the day to the minute we go to sleep, our hands are our connection to our environments, whether it be within our house, whether we're, you know, we've got students that are learning in the, the school system, you know, th think about the technology, the dexterity that we have to have. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, think about iPhone use. Think about computer use. Um, everything that we're doing on the larger scale, reaching to obtain something in our environment, any kind of equipment you might be utilizing during employment. I mean, our hands are critical for that engagement, let alone those things that we love to do that help define who we are. You know, I, I often say to my patients, what, what defines you? If somebody had to describe you and, and, and the core of who you were as a person or those activities that you so love to do, what, what were those activities that define you? Meaning our leisure activities, or like for me, I'm an avid equestrian. So I look at all of those parts of what's required from my hands, let alone my arms, let alone my core strength, let alone the coordination of all of my body parts and my vision and my perception. I mean, all of that pulls together to help me engage in one of those loved activities that helps define who I am. Mm -hmm. And so that those activities are different for everyone. And to allow us as therapists to engage our patients and to be mindful of those activities that motivate people for engagement. I mean, it's just such a powerful position that we're in. Absolutely. And then what you've been finding too is that, you know, more of the traditional medical model biomechanical model, which would be looking at, you know, how much motion does this joint have? How strong is this muscle? Um, rehabilitating from there really wasn't getting you the results that you were hoping for. Well, and I've treated a lot of patients most recently in my, my outpatient years 
that have, you know, suffered from a wrist fracture. And I started digging into the research and seeing how my patients presented and, you know, looking at the properties of healing, for an example, you know, you've got the different aspects, whether they have had surgery to repair a fracture that was unstable or just the normal body's healing properties where you've got pain that's present, swelling that's present, possibly heat, um, stiffness. You, you start to ask yourself, well, all these things are going on without surgery, let alone add surgery into that where you've got now metal that's inside holding bone pieces together. And then you had you know, an incision and that incision's trying to heal. So you've got what happened to the muscles when the bone was out of alignment versus now you put everything back in alignment and everything's back to its normal length, but now you've immobilized them or you've got sutures in place. And so many different body systems come into the process of just looking at the healing for a wrist fracture or one that's been operated on. And there's so many comorbidities that people may have that factor in that person's ability to heal properly or quickly, or are they going to have a delay in healing? And so, you know, taking and looking at just the wrist versus the whole body and the healing process for the whole body is, is a direction that we've got to start to move. Um, otherwise, we're not doing really what we've set out to do is de- treating the whole person. Absolutely. So what could be an example of a condition that someone would have that would impact healing? So I'll I'll use the example of a wrist fracture because I think it's pretty tangible to most of us. Um, You know, if, if you dig into the research, you'll find so many studies looking at comorbidities and the impact on that healing and the risk of um, secondary fall, as well as the onset of complex regional pain syndrome, formerly known as um, RSD or reflex sympathetic dystrophy. And they're finding trends with increased onsetting with hypothyroidism. Women that are perimenopausal or menopausal age range, um, those with osteoporosis, um, diabetes, obesity. So if we look at the the core of how someone is going to heal when their body's been in a traumatic situation, whether they've fallen or something's fallen on them to fracture that wrist, you've got the stress and the impact that that has on the immune system and the body's ability to heal. You have now pain and the impact. You now have potentially a loss of sleep. You you then on top of that have potential loss of income, which, you know, all of these factors add to stress. If you look at the impacts of stress on the immune system, and now you've got potentially either some a surgical incision and a wound trying to heal and a, a bone trying to form a callus, and, and hopefully there wasn't nerve injury in the, in the process. However, we know how close the median nerve is in the carpal tunnel when we do have risk factors, fractures. 
and the impact that that can have with inflammation and compression and, or irritation to that nerve. Um, you know, we've got to look at that big picture in, in the healing process. Um, you know, definitely the, the diabetes is a delaying factor for healing. Um, so there's so many different comorbidities that can factor in and, and the research is identifying, you know, how they can impact and, and cause other things to happen after a fracture. So I think awareness is a really good first step that people are going to have different healing responses based on the conditions they already have and the life circumstances going on. But it sounds like you're doing more than just awareness, but trying to address these underlying factors. So can you give us some, some examples of what you would do if you had someone with diabetes and a wrist fracture or hypothyroidism? You know, I always ask my clients if they've, you know, seen their primary care physician, if they um, have had labs done recently to make sure that if they're on medications to try to manage their diabetes or their hypothyroidism, that those levels that they're getting in their laboratory readings are where they, their physician wants them to be for that normal state for their body to be functioning efficiently. If they're not, or if they haven't seen their doctor, I encourage them to see their physician because this can further impact how their body is going to heal. You know, I also talk to them a lot about diet and sleep cycle because those are going to factor in also to, you know, cortisol levels, making sure that our body can effectively function in terms of, um, you know, just even basic digestion and weight control, which those are all going to be factors with, say, diabetes. Um, you know, look at the, the types of foods that someone might be eating that may be high in salt or and cause fluid retention or they are high in, in sugar, which, you know, we know that sugar leads to increased inflammation. So those are all factors that are, are going to throw the blood sugars off, but also they're going to inhibit the healing process. Yeah. So you're making sure that they're current with their physician and medical testing, but then also introducing more of these lifestyle medicine um, topics to help the body heal itself as best as it can. Correct. Uh, you know, in, encouraging someone to know what things are going to help keep their comorbidities stable, um, as well as positively influence the healing process. I'll give you an example. One of um, there's been quite a bit of research done on the benefits of vitamin C. And the American Association of Orthopedic Surgeons recommends in their, their practice, their best practice for um, wrist fractures on, on day of onset of wrist fracture through at least day 50, 500 milligrams of vitamin C to be taken daily. Um, you know, and if you look at the, the value of just vitamin C on your immune system, your body is normally requiring 
everyday function a certain amount for each organ. And now we put increased stress on the body's healing capabilities when there's an injury or surgery. And so it's going to pull from those other organs to try to help with that healing process, but it may just not be enough. And so the 500 milligrams of vitamin C daily is supposed to help with what that immune system needs and the vital organs and the healing um, injury or surgical site needs and prevent the complex regional pain syndrome from onsetting. That is such a simple solution. And can you, um, for those who don't know, can you describe a little more what complex regional pain syndrome is? Sure. So usually there is an on-siting event that occurs um, where, whether it's from high force trauma from a fall or from nerve uh, transection or compression, there um, is this onslaught of symptoms and signs that happen, which vary slightly from person to person, depending on their overall situation with their health. That could be from intense pain that is completely out of proportion from where in and what it should be in the area of the injury or trauma. Um, usually there's swelling that is out of proportion that over time can and get more brawny. There can be color changes in the skin more towards a purplish reddish tone in the area of swelling and the injury. There can be additional thick hair growth that is different from the rest of the hair growth on the extremity. There can be also symptoms that tend to migrate up the arm into the shoulder, um, which is why they used to call it shoulder hand syndrome, because it can start at the shoulder and migrate down or can start at the, the hand and migrate up, usually because of a change in posture and, and guarding because the pain is so intense, the patient's just looking to, to try to to get away from the pain. And so sometimes immobilizing themselves by, by splinting or guarding um, is one way for them to try to minimize some of that pain. But at the same token, they're creating a change in posture and pattern of motion. And that can lead to a lot of other negative impacts on the arm. Um, so different signs and symptoms will happen at different times during the onsetting of the complex regional pain syndrome, which, you know, is really can be a tricky thing for diagnosis because I don't believe that a lot of people pay close attention to what those signs and symptoms are to be able to diagnose it early on. Um, and, you know, some of those things that we, we can even look at for minimizing its ability to onset is even someone saying they've got a cast on or if they've got a splint on and it's really the pain is a proportion. That's a classic indication that something is going on. Their body's not responding well to that cast or that splint. Um, they really should be very proactive in, in getting that changed and adjusted. Um, you know, high impact falls that have comminution or angulation that really need 
to, to have a surgical intervention, the, the physicians need to make sure that there's not over distraction of those fragments of those bone components, because that can put too much tension and that can irritate the structure surrounding, which the literature shows more so can be the, the radial nerve, depending on the angulation of the fracture, as well as the median nerve. Um, so definitely, um, and that's just with fractured patients with wrist fractures, complex regional pain syndrome is also very common in our population that has, you know, suffered from stroke, uh, given the, the change in the positioning and ability to move the limb with the forces of gravity impacting and tugging, you know, you've definitely got traction on those nerves and irritation, which, you know, I, I would say those are probably the two most common instances where I see it develop. Yeah. So it's definitely a very complex condition and hopefully one to be avoided. And I think that really speaks to, you know, the benefit of having someone with such advanced training like yourself involved in the patient's care so that they can recognize the risk factors, recognize the early warning signs and intervene before things, you know, get to the point of just being so painful and debilitating. I think the the one thing that I've I've learned in in looking in the research and and through you know my own practice has been prevention is key and kind of having our wits about us and knowing what things could potentially happen and trying to mitigate from onsetting regardless of what we're treating. Um, I think that's going to be key for us moving forward so that we're, we're not chasing the tail of disease. We're actually trying to prevent it and promote health and wellness for that steady state of, of health. Um, you know, I definitely, I, I've been emphasizing diet you know, a, a consistent sleep-wake cycle for our patients because if you're all over the place with sleep, your your cortisol levels are all over and that's going to impact your digestion and your absorption and your body's ability to heal and your your, your energy level. Um, so just basics. How, do, how, are, how are we managing our stress from day to day, let alone when it something onsets? Um, you know, I, I know that there's some some individuals that are groups in in the society that are very comfortable with complementary and alternative medicine and methods and practices. And it's, you know, it truly is on the rise, but more of the literature is saying that, you know, it gets a little bit risky when people are dabbling into some of the supplements without their physicians knowing mm-hmm. the, and they're, they're also, you know, hesitant to bring it up because they don't feel that the, those practicing in the more traditional medical model are going to be accepting of it, but it's a preference of theirs. Um, so there's, you know, definitely it should be communicated to the primary care physicians or those that potentially you're going to have a surgical procedure with that. Hey, you know, I am taking these supplements. It's important to me to take supplements. I don't want to be on narcotics if I don't have to be on them. I don't want to be on prescription medications if it's not, you know, definitely necessary. I prefer supplements and it's okay that we have different preferences. 
but to make sure that that you're also going to be safe in the process because there are some interactions between supplements that are taken and different medications as well as medications that might be utilized during surgery which could be you know have negative impacts what i'm hearing you saying is that supplements are growing but they're largely kind of being used outside of traditional medicine and without that communication we could end up with some dangerous interactions with other prescription medications, drugs used during surgery. An example I hear too is a lot of people take omega-3s and may not realize that it increases bleeding risk, which can be very problematic during surgery. And so to have the conversation with the physician to make sure we're all on the same page. Exactly. It's just important that, you know, we are communicating the types of services that we're engaging in or supplements that we're taking so that it paints the big picture so that we're healthy and we're not causing negative impacts on our health. So where do you recommend someone who's interested in starting supplements or may already use them? Where would be a good, reputable source of information for them so they could get a little bit more guidance on what's right for them? I find that naturopaths truly look at the big picture and they are physicians that can give you guidance um, based on what individual needs and preferences are for supplements versus medications or the combination of the above. Um, You really want to go with um, also supplements that are high quality. There's, you know, supplements out there that have a lot of fillers in them. There's a lot of, of other things that don't really need to be present in them that are binding agents that may block absorption. Also, if you're if you're getting them over the the counter at the drugstore, et cetera, et cetera, the combinations or amounts of what you're taking may be more than what your body actually needs. And so you may hear the term of, you know, you're taking so much vitamin C that now you have very expensive urine um, because you're you're overtaking these water-soluble vitamins that you're just excreting the extra, which it's not, the water-solubles aren't, harming you, but why spend the money on something that is way more than what your body needs or on the other side may not be enough. So to find that that regular state for your own body, you really should have someone that's skilled in that area intervening and guiding. I think that's a great recommendation because then you get the individualized approach from someone who's studied the world of supplements professionally. And I can speak from my own experience working with a naturopath. It was the best thing I've ever done for my health was to work with someone trained that way. Yeah. I mean, I, I recently started as a a health professional with Nutrametrics and um, we are overseen by naturopaths. 
and guided in our recommendations or suggestions to our patients or, or individuals that are interested in um, our supplements. There, you know, there's different types of supplements. Some supplements come in pill form and some supplements are in powder form, which, you know, if you look at the differences of absorption, there's definitely differences in the time required to absorb versus um, if it's even absorbing or if you're just passing it through your system and not truly absorbing. Um, the isotonics seem to be absorbed much more rapidly and more readily for, for use by your body and your organs. They circulate better. Um, some, some supplements you'll find are much more expensive than others, but you need to also look at the quality of that. Um, it's usually commiserate with the, the quality of the, the supplement versus, you know, just looking at the, the name and whether they've been tested, you know, what, what testing has been done on different types of supplements. So, you know, you know, you're getting a consistent product. That's a high quality product. Great tips. And what is an isotonic? It is in powder form and it's at the equal pressure of like the body and the body's within the stomach. So when it's absorbed, it's absorbed evenly versus not having equal pressure to allow for that absorption. It's more similar to how the body is already composed. Is that what it is? Okay. Yes. All right. So I think we've heard such great information and you've talked about your specific practice area, mainly in hand therapy, but how you support the whole body and the process of treating the hand and how this is really your vision of healthcare for the future. Is there anything more you'd like to say about that, where you think our professions are going? You know, I think looking at our roots and I keep going back to our roots as, as OTs in in our profession. Um, I think there's a lot we can learn from the past. And as much as we early on were known more as those that provided arts and crafts, we each have our own craft and our own craft is those leisure activities that, that are helping to define us. And to be able to encourage engagement in those loved activities is going to um, encourage participation and uh, client investment in the therapeutic relationship and for the process of improvement. And whatever that craft might be, whether it's you know returning to being able to walk your dog or play with your dog on the floor, whether it's pickleball, whether it's you know being an equestrian, whether it's weightlifting in the gym, yoga, Pilates. I mean the the list of activities that help define us and that encourage us, that motivate us to to be active and to they're part of who we are. The list goes on and on. And that combination for each individual is different. So for us as OTs to be able to embrace that and to in incorporate that in those encouraging activities into our practice is truly going to help our, our practice be more holistic and client-centered. Mm -hmm. And to just improve the outcome for the clients too. Absolutely. Usually someone's goal isn't to 
you know, get a few more degrees at their joint, it's to be able to walk the dog or like the other examples you said, to participate in life, have purpose and meaning. Absolutely. But, you know, making sure that 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 approach to living is more healthful, um, hanging more on wellness and prevention and, you know, more looking at the whole person and the whole body as those systems interrelate to one another so that you can foster that wellness versus just looking at the, the specific diagnosis that someone's referred to and staying in that tunnel vision approach that, oh, I can only look at the wrist. Oh no, that wrist is part of every other aspect <laughs> of the body. Absolutely. So where can people find you if they're so excited by this interview, want to work with you? What's the best place to find you? Um, I actually have a website for my business. It is HTTPS uh, colon backslash backslash um, handcraftedwellness.biz, B-I-Z. And I also have a website for myself for my, as a nutrimetrics professional, um, health professional, and that is HTTP colon backslash backslash nutrimetrics.com backslash handcrafted wellness. Great. And do people have to be in your geographic region to work with you? Um, the Nutrimetrics Health Professional, no, we can definitely, they can call me on my phone. My, my work number is 203-376-5646. Um, we can definitely have discussions over the phone to help with guidance um, and, and decision-making for appropriate supplements they might consider and, and discuss with their physician for safety to incorporate in their day-to-day health and wellness. Um, Currently, I'm actually in the process of opening my practice, which should be open in the next two weeks, which is so exciting for me. Congratulations. That's huge. So I'll be located in Farmington, Connecticut, up in the Horse Historic District. And I, in the beginning, will just have on-site, in-person treatment and health, uh, health and wellness guidance. And I'll transition eventually into um, some virtual uh, capabilities for that. So then in the future, I should be able to be accessed throughout the country. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Jen. This was a really rich um, episode. So many words of wisdom. And I think you got us all thinking about our hands and every part of the body that makes the hand happen. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and does not create a provider-patient relationship between us. If you have questions about your health, please speak to a qualified health professional. If you would like to learn more about working with me as your qualified health professional, please visit carolinemorris.com. Did you know that gratitude is good for your health? If you found value in this episode, please share it with a friend and leave a rating or review. To keep the connection going, subscribe to Elder Health Connection on your favorite podcast player 
to get immediate access to upcoming episodes. Thank you for listening. With love and gratitude, Caroline.